I'm really pleased to be able to carry on from last week um, because it seemed a bit in uh, complete and I'm happy to be able to conclude uh, at least this first chapter uh, of James. You remember last week we began the study in the letter of James from those opening uh, verses and we discovered James's challenge to the scattered Jewish believers to persevere in the face of many trials. We saw, hopefully, how his words are true and relevant for today. So having set that scene in verses 1 to 18, James now turns to a practical application. Remember last week with the children, I tried to show you a diagram. We might have something appear. You remember it looked something like that. So on the left-hand side, something should appear, chapter 1. And on the right... Is it working? If you... If you... The word should appear. There are words. Thank you. Chapter 1. And chapters 2 to 5. And uh, this explains how it's all interconnected. So that's cleared that up then. Uh, and th- those of you here last week, remember, I tried to do that with the children on the flip chart, not very successfully. Um, but uh, that sort of explains uh, James. But we're going to take a while to... Um, <laughs> we're going to take a while to go through it this morning, these verses. I smile because uh, the clock says quarter to twelve. You have ever seen the, the preacher who does that? means nothing. <laughs> it's just to make you feel better. So, we begin uh, uh, these uh, verses, and uh, we find that James begins, and he says, Take note of this. Now, I don't know, I don't think you have to be a great uh, scholar or anything to realize that... Uh, uh, that means that what's to follow is important. And actually, of course, what follows is not simply important, but it is a fundamental. We're looking here at fundamental uh, truths as to our Christian faith and how we live to please God. And that first uh, fundamental that we encounter is this idea of listening or hearing as opposed to speaking, says the preacher who's got a lot to say this morning. We have, I'm sure, all learned the wisdom of listening before we speak. I say that because the younger ones have left us. It's true, isn't it? When you're young, certainly when I was young, I was very keen to speak before uh, listening. And it actually took a long, long time for me to learn that lesson. But I'm sure we all understand the wisdom of listening before we speak. Paul, when he writes uh, to Timothy, he gives him lots of good advice. And in 2 Timothy 2.16, he says, Avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. There is a danger in uh, uh, speaking too much. And of course, this becomes evident later on in James's writing. But he's writing... Uh, firstly about the, ha- the attitude of the heart and the mind 
that listens before speaking and is able to control that tendency uh, towards anger. We might nowadays talk about this as anger management. And I think this really is taking us back to the previous verses where he talks of those many trials. I'm sure we've all experienced and can identify with that situation where as a consequence of difficulties and trials, our response is to get angry. Perhaps to lash out, perhaps to verbalize our fears and disappointments and perhaps just a simple sense of injustice at the circumstances we find ourselves in. To be angry, albeit in difficult circumstances, is not a good witness for the Lord. And it's not what God requires of us. And so in these verses 19 uh, uh, to 20, that's what we see. And then he refers uh, to the immoral influences around them that they're to reject. How? By their response to the word. Now this may seem, as we see these uh, opening verses of our reading, 19 and uh, and uh, 20 uh, to be somewhat disjointed is he referring back to the verses we already had hold on a minute I read through James and uh, some of these things I find later on in his writings and that's true but I don't think what we're looking at is things that are disjointed and random but what James is doing is supplying us the key to success in these areas of life as we read our Bibles, as we hear the preacher, as we read a Bible-based Christian book, we have a responsibility to listen and hear, to absorb the Word. This is what um, James is talking about here. He's talking about the Word becoming a part of you. Verse 21, part of that verse, says to humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. So we have to be clear what we're listening to. James talks about listening, I think, because in the early church, the letters of the church would have been read to the congregation. The, um, James's letter, he would have written his letter and it would have been uh, passed uh, amongst the, um, the various churches and somebody would have read the letter. Um, when in the synagogues, and you remember these people come from that uh, tradition, the Old Testament scriptures were brought out and read. People didn't possess, only the rich possessed any form of writing, Um, And certainly the scriptures were not possessed by individuals. They were kept in the synagogues. They were scrolls. You remember in Luke chapter 4, the account of uh, when the Lord returned to Nazareth, his hometown. On the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue and was given the scroll of Isaiah, which he stood up to read. So you see, in James' time, hearing was what they identified with. And we, in our Christian um, tradition, have followed on with that. Because every Sunday, we um, 
have a preacher here at church. And we use the word uh, preach. Sometimes we might think it's more teaching, but other times we might see it more as preaching. Uh, But this is um, what has followed on from New Testament times. Of course, in uh, the early times of the early Christians, there were preachers. We read of Paul and Peter and others uh, preaching. Their subject was one subject alone, the person of the Lord Jesus. Their message, salvation through faith in him. They declared the gospel, the good news. And the basis for that was the Old Testament. You think in Acts, when Peter stands up, he refers back to the Old Testament. You read some of the writings of Paul and he quotes the Psalms and, uh, and so on. So you see, the word of God was at the center of it all. And so when James writes to them, these people, and he says to them, listen. When we read those words today, we can identify with them. And we have the same responsibility as we as we read, God, read God's word, we hear his voice. I alluded to this last week, if you were here and you were listening. We need to be clear what we as Christians, or indeed as a church, believe about the word of God. The Bible that we have today. Are these words familiar to you? We believe the Bible is God's word, which speaks clearly and with relevance to our lives and modern world. The Bible is a definitive guide for us in all matters of faith and conduct. We seek to apply the word of God to every aspect of our lives. In order to do this, we place a high value on preaching, teaching, and studying God's word together. Is that familiar to you? That comes from the what we believe part of our church website. Paul, writing to Timothy, puts it like this. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's one of the 316s of the Bible. I'm sure sure you knew that. 2 Timothy 3.16. Now, as a... A preacher, from time to time, I'm conscious of the privilege and the responsibility of my task. Similarly, as others come to preach, we need to be sure that what they bring us is God's word and nothing else. I don't apologize again for repeating what I said last week. What we read and hear purports to be a that purports to be a Christian message or guidance, we should test. And we should test it with God's word, the Bible. If you feel that God has spoken to you in some circumstance and so on, that's wonderful. But just remember this. He will not contradict his word just to fit your circumstances. His word, the Bible... Is the way God has chosen to communicate to us. To communicate the message of salvation. To communicate his truths. To communicate how we should live. 
to communicate what church life should be and more, every aspect of our lives. I believe that. And so this is the importance of what James uh, is writing to these people. We believe, we just read it from 2 Timothy 3.16, that James's words were inspired. They were God-breathed. As James was inspired by God, the Holy Spirit, there was an eye what? Not simply to the circumstances of the Christians of the day, but to the future. That's why we believe the Bible to be for us today. Because our God is eternal. And uh, the things that are written are relevant today because they were written with an eye, not simply to the time, I believe anyway, but to the future. And so when we come to verse 22, we are told that to merely listen or to hear is not enough. It's not sufficient. A response or a result is required. Otherwise, it's a pointless exercise. We are deluded in thinking this, that this somehow pleases God, impresses others, or would produce some spiritual fruit in our lives. If we, if we simply read uh, the Bible without uh, there being something extra, something more. And I think um, that's what uh, James uh, was getting at. In verses 22 to 24, he gives this lovely um, illustration. Now, preachers love illustrations. Uh, but you have to be careful. There are good illustrations and there are bad ones. There are good jokes and there are bad uh, uh, jokes. And there are those that can tell a joke and there are those that really didn't alter. But here he gives us this uh, great uh, illustration which is familiar to us or certainly uh, to me and perhaps to most men of my acquaintance. A cursory glance in the mirror will not imprint on our minds the stray hair, the nick of the razor, or the crooked tie. We need to concentrate on the task. I've learned by experience to use the best mirror a man can have if he's blessed with one. That's his wife. (laughs) To make sure my hair is presentable and my tie matches, um, I use that, the best mirror a man can have. It's an illustration, and we can look at it in a humorous way, but it's tremendously important when it comes to the Word of God, isn't it? What, was, what did um, Margaret read to us? Actually, it struck to me, it struck me as, as Margaret was um, reading it. Um, and it says, I'll find the, I'll find the verse... The the following verse um, 25, it says, The man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this. As as Margaret read it, you know, all the study I've done this week, but that bit really struck me that it's not a Sunday morning exercise. It's a continual exercise, however we might do that. So, we need to apply our minds to this business of listening, reading, studying uh, the word of God. And so in verse 25, 
we are given the key to this. First of all, we are to look intently. The idea here is to study the word, to want to understand it, and to apply what we read and hear. As we saw from verse 21, the idea is for the words to be planted in you, for it to become a part of you. Uh, The study guide for the Tuesday groups is in James, and it's entitled The Implanted Word. I think uh, these have been going around. And it comes from that verse. It's the idea that it becomes a part of you. Um, I do gardening, like many of you, with varying degrees of success. Sadly, I find that the plant that grows the best and is actually the most difficult to remove from the ground is a weed, isn't it? That's just a, um, a fact of nature. But it gets implanted in the ground, doesn't it? It puts its roots down deep and it somehow has a knack of so getting a grip on the earth that um, you need some kind of magic chemical or special tool or whatever to remove it. Well, that's how the word of God should be in us. It should be so deep-rooted that it can't be dug out. Can I encourage anybody? I I mentioned... um, weekday groups. There's a group here at the church on a Tuesday. There's a group at Adrian and Judy's. And there's one on Thursdays at Curry Rival. Good to be part of that if you're able. Secondly, this word is perfect. Many have tried to discredit the Bible over the years, suggesting that in part it's mythical, contradictory, inaccurate, and irrelevant, and yet it stood the test of time. If it wasn't perfect, then we'd be looking about for all sorts of alternatives, but there is nothing, and there is no alternative, nothing that matches the word of God. And then James describes it as the perfect law. And we might be puzzled because he hasn't used that word law before. Of course, to the Jewish Christians, they would, the law would be familiar to them. That's how the Old Testament uh, was described. Today, we have the whole word of God. And in the New Testament, we are presented with God's grace and salvation by faith in his son, Jesus. In the Old Testament, we see many commands and requirements as to how we should live to please God and benefit the world around us. So you see, James, I believe, switches to the law here to give the idea that he's writing about discovering from the word of God how we ought to live, what we ought to do, how we ought to respond to these circumstances. And therefore, the idea of the the law, commands, if you like, requirements, if you like, is what he's trying to get across. The scriptures are not full of do's and don'ts. We all know that, don't we? There's so much more there. But but it is full of do's. And uh, this is what James is talking about when he's um, encouraging us uh, to hear and to obey. Thirdly, this 
is liberating. He writes the perfect law that gives freedom. Now here we need to be careful. This isn't a freedom to live as we please. I mean, that would be a contradiction, wouldn't it? Because he's talking about listening and obeying. And then he says you have freedom. It's not a freedom to live as we please, but it's a freedom from mere rituals and regulations laid down men. It's freedom from the, from the chains of sin and its uh, consequences. And as I was uh, reading this and I thought about the perfect law that gives uh, freedom, I was just reminded, and you'll excuse me for this little aside, but I was just uh, reminded that we have a Bible today in our own language. We have many versions of the Bible today in our own language. And we have many other um, uh, forms of the Bible. Aren't we blessed? I was reminded that uh, not so many hundreds of years ago, we didn't have a Bible in our own language. We uh, uh, were dependent upon so-called um, religious leaders and learned men to, uh, to teach what they thought. And when the Bible was translated into English, well, that's where we get... Um, it coincided to some extent with the Reformation, because that started with uh, Martin Luther. But people began to see... Uh, what the truths of God really were. And, and they weren't to do with a religion. They weren't to do with an organization. Uh, they were to do uh, with God and his son. So be thankful. Be thankful for men like Wycliffe, Tyndale and Coverdale and others. These people suffered and died that we might today be here enjoying the scriptures in many forms and in a language and that we have the privilege to be able to go, go home today and open a Bible and read it without fear. Uh, that wasn't always the case. That's just a little aside. It just uh, came to me and history interests me and uh, uh, it's it's really interesting if you take a look and to see how you know we actually uh, got a Bible in our language. But let's continue. Fourthly, the consequence of study and obedience, of putting what we learn into practice is blessing. Whoever continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Now James is not telling them here that all their trials will end. But he, he is saying, I believe, that they will know the pure joy that we first encountered in verse 2. Remember what it said in verse 2. Consider it pure joy when you face many trials. It's this uh, practice of allowing God's word to permeate our very being and being obedient to it which produces this sense of joy, this sense of being blessed. When the Lord taught the disciples 
that great lesson by washing their feet. Read it in John 13. He concludes with these words. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. In the authorised version, the word used instead of blessed is happy. And perhaps we would understand that better. It's a sense of, of well-being, of peace, of assurance, of knowing that, you, that your relationship with God is right, and so on. It isn't that, our life, that we're given a life of ease, We'd be going back to religion then, wouldn't we? If, you know, God was making deals with us, as it were, well, you, you know, you study my word and I'll make your life easy. That isn't the God we have. We're promised trials and difficulties, but we're promised the Holy Spirit. We're promised God's word. We're promised so much to enable us to live a life that glorifies him despite those difficulties. That's, that's what James is saying That's what he's writing. And so um, I think the key to this is that verse 25 uh, that we uh, have read through. To look intently, to make it become a part of us. What God's perfect law. And the consequence, it gives us a freedom. And it gives us real joy. If we do these things because we have discovered them from God's word and we have a heart that wants to obey him. So then we come to verse 26 and it seems that James jumps back to this business about talking again. As you know uh, from later in in the book, uh, James has a kind of thing about uh, talking and the tongue. Clearly there was a problem amongst early Christians. Um, I wonder, has that changed? Now, I'm not going to um, pursue that because, of course, uh, chapter 3, uh, whoever comes to preach, and I can't remember who it is now, but they, oh, actually, I think it's our own John Crossland, I think, is doing that. But um, that's there for them and something for us to look uh, forward to. We've seen that when we study the word in the way that James describes it, There's a response in how we live. And so in verse 27, we come, uh, he talks about uh, religion. The word here is a reference to religious observance. It isn't a a reference to our um, faith as such. You know, it's the, and again, the, the Jewish Christians would have been uh, familiar with uh, religious observances and it dogged the early church, um, their inability to shake off the um, merely uh, following the requirements of the law, some of the more um, uh, difficult ones, as it were. And uh, Paul, when he writes to the Galatians in particular, you know, he, he has to try and uh, say to them, look, you know, those days are past. Yes, we, you know, we have to be obedient, we have to follow God, but it's not about following those um, laws and rituals. Um, it's now all about the grace of God and, and being inspired by the Holy Spirit 
to live a holy life. And so, verse 27 shows the contrast between the two ways. The perfect law, God's word, and this religious uh, observance. Of course, the one is flawed because it, to a great extent, is man-made. But the former is evident in the way we live, in our manner of life. Verse 27 describes the person who follows this perfect law, who is truly religious. There are echoes here of Micah, chapter 6, verses 7 to 8. Some of you will know this. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. In the Old Testament, under the law, this is what God asks of his people. For us it doesn't change except that now our obedience is not a response to the requirements of the law but to the word planted in us. We simply become aware and act upon these things. Firstly, upon the needs of others. Widows and orphans in James's day would have been in real need. You know, there was no welfare state. Um, their circumstances would have been truly dire. And that's why we read in Acts, when it came to uh, appointing the first deacons, the leaders of the church, uh, that they were appointed to look after the widows. I don't think it's the only job they did, but it was an act of service, and that doesn't change. Um, and here, I don't think James is uh, saying that uh, true religion, true faith, true Christianity is to look after widows and orphans. It's to look after all those are in need. It's to have a heart for the poor and needy. And today, uh, we could be here and enumerate so many uh, needs. But do we have a sensitivity towards those needs? And then the second part of the verse talks about keeping ourselves apart from the excesses of the world around us. Even in the 21st century, a supposed leading nation in the world We see inequality in this country. We see greed. We see a lack of self-control. The subject of separation from the world is a difficult one. But we are called to be different. We are called to witness, to demonstrate uh, our Christian faith, that others might see the person of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus, in us. It's about our manner of life. When we get to the, uh, the next chapter, James talks about inequality. He's setting his hearers up, as it were, to hear and respond to some difficult lessons. Are we prepared for those lessons? What about what we have uh, shared together today as we've looked into this Word. 
Will it make a difference in our thoughts and our actions this week? Are we resolved to hear and to obey? I'm going to conclude with the words from the Lord himself, from John 14, speaking to the disciples, and the words, as it were, echo through the ages to us. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. That's the blessings that James was speaking of. That's the happiness that we can aspire to. But the Lord does ask us to hear, to allow his word to become implanted, ingrained, to become part of us and to be prepared to obey it.